Hey, good morning. So, uh, yes, Easter is kind of a golden opportunity. Um, Probably few of us would disagree we live in a post-Christian nation, but that means that there is still some uh, residual Christianity that's kind of in the culture in general and the holidays and Easter in particular. It's just kind of a golden opportunity to say to someone who, to the best of our knowledge, does not have a relationship with Christ, would you like to go to church? So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, I do need to say this to be sure um, that we're not turning away guests at the door. Um, If you have any flexibility on Easter Sunday, I really want to encourage you to shift your attendance, particularly this crowd, because you're probably 9 a.m.ers anyway, to maybe think about going to the 1045. Last year, if if you were here, we like just squeezed in everybody uh, for the 9 a.m. service, and the church is a little bigger this year. Um, So uh, think about doing that. That will be helpful. And then also, don't forget that this week, like Kathy mentioned at the start of the service, is our Maundy Thursday service um, with Redeemer Anglican. It's a, it's a joint service. It was great last year. Uh, you're certainly welcome to invite a friend for that as well, but you just got to let them know it's a little bit different than the typical Sunday gathering. Uh, Maundy means commandment, and it is it, it kind of it doesn't have the same laughter, the same energy, the sense of celebration, that is intentionally completely left out on Thursday night. It is a much more reflective, sober service. I think it's also a very important service. It hopefully does a great job kind of setting the stage for Easter Sunday. Um, This year we're going to do it a little bit different. There's not going to be a sermon um, or like a mini sermon. Instead, we're going to do three speakers and we're going to do three vignettes all kind of painting a picture leading to, to Calvary. Um, so that's Thursday evening, 7 p.m. The entire thing will be 60, 70 minutes, maybe just a tad shorter than a normal Sunday morning. And there is a full child care program as well. Okay, uh, commercial over. Um, Today is the start of Holy Week. This is Palm Sunday. Um, We're going to use our time, though, on Palm Sunday to return to the book of Acts and finish up our courtroom trilogy. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 26. Acts 26. And for those of you uh, who are new to MCC, welcome. My name is Travis Bond. I serve as senior pastor here. Uh, If you are here this morning, and it appears that you all are... uh, (laughs) (laughs) then you are here because you have been called up on jury duty. Doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your background, you got the letter in the mail, you've showed up at the courthouse. How many have done actual jury duty, by the way? Okay, so we, we know how it goes. You know, really, nobody wants to hear from you, right? When you're, you just sit in the box, and your job is to listen and gather information, and I'm, I'm kind of on the same page with you because that's exactly what we're going to be doing here. We're going to be just listening to the guy on the stand as we read through this text. His name is Paul, and it's all up against the, the backdrop of this Roman pomp and circumstance uh, that Paul is going to give us from the witness stand his testimony of faith. Um, if you are new, uh, Catching you up, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. There was a prisoner transfer to Caesarea. He was there for two years. Um, we had uh, chapter 25, uh, 24 rather, was Paul before Felix. That was a trial. 
Chapter 25, Paul was before Festus. That was a trial. Chapter 26, Paul is now before Agrippa. This one is it's not technically a trial. It's like more of a deposition. Um, King Agrippa with his sister uh, Bernice on one side, with his governor Festus on the other side. Basically, Agrippa is really, really curious about this guy who's been causing such a fuss for so many for so long. And so he calls Paul to appear before them because he, he wants to hear Paul firsthand. So that's the setting. Here we go. Court is now in session. Acts 26, beginning at verse 1. Hear now the very word of our Lord. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and the power from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, 
I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, Do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Okay, so it was not in an official trial, so we don't have opening and closing statements, we don't have witnesses being called forward, we don't have cross-examinations. Really, all we have in the text is still open on your lap, I hope, is a statement from the accused, and that statement, if you read through it, um, the whole chapter like we just did, it does break into a pretty simple, classic three-part testimony of faith. Um, A number of our teenagers right now, I believe, are in the Youth Inquirers course, and they're learning today what is a Christian testimony, what does it look like, what does it contain. Um, In one form or another, um, I want you to know a testimony always has these three things. Every time that we invite someone to share their testimony of faith up here on the platform. Every time we seek to share our testimony of faith and we have more than 30 seconds over a cup of coffee perhaps, we always want it to contain these same three things. They'll be different. It'll be constructed differently based on your own unique context, your own creativity, your own memories, but it's always the same thing. What I was, what God did, and what God is doing now. Those are um, reflected in the outline in your bulletin if you want to track that way. What I was, what God did, and what God is doing now. 
In Paul's case, following a brief, respectful introduction, Paul says, verse 4, my manner of life from my youth is known by all the Jews. Now, that's a curious statement. Have the Jewish people really been watching Paul since he was a kid? Well, Abeg suggests we're to take this in a way similar to what we see today when um, a young person makes a mark for themselves in uh, junior high or high school and you start to notice their name showing up in the Milford Daily News and then maybe Fox 25, and then after a while, you find yourself having coffee at Muffin House saying to the person you're with, uh, whose name is now all over the news, you know, I remember when they were in just ninth grade, and they played for Medway, or or they played for, for Franklin High. I mean, this happens all the time, right? In small towns, athletically, it happens for teachers academically, well, what Paul is saying here is, that was me theologically, okay? In a a culture which greatly valued religious excellence, people would sit over their cups of coffee and say to one another, you should watch this one. (laughs) Saul of Tarsus. We're going to be hearing more from him, I think. And did they ever? (laughs) You know, sometimes without even realizing it, I think we look around and we begin to imagine that the people who have been most useful for God were very good men and women, right? And then we think about that for about 60 seconds longer. (laughs) And we realize, well, in the course of history, it's often quite the opposite. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. Who wrote that? Yeah, but who was he? Yeah. He was a slave trader. And a very wicked man. And then he experienced amazing grace. By the saving grace of God. And he wrote that song in response to the whole thing. That's one example, but in the same way, we've got Paul here. He's sitting in the witness box and he's saying... I know these guys around me, King. They're they're all opposed to this Christian stuff, so I should probably let you know, I was too. In fact, I had an international strategy. I was committed to throwing Christians in jail with raging fury, he says, I think, in verse 11. He went after him. He talks about casting his vote, which probably implies that he was not just a Pharisee. That's well established. But he was probably also at one point on the Sanhedrin itself. Little black pebbles, death, little white pebbles, life. He says, I was casting my vote right along with these guys. Well, every, every good testimony offers background like this, right? What I was. Um, For those of us who were saved very early in life, well, there's not going to be a whole lot there. Praise God, by the way. That's the best kind of testimony, the most boring one. (laughs) Amen. Why did only one person say amen? (laughs) What's wrong with the rest of you people? (laughs) We want our kids to have boring testimonies. You know, from the age of zero to four, I was a real hellion. (laughs) 
And then I saw a bright light, and I went to kindergarten. Now, for those of us who are saved much later in life, well, uh, there's going to be a whole lot more backstory. Now, in Paul's case here, what I was, he says, was an enemy of Christ and spiritually dead. (laughs) Dead men cannot make themselves alive again. That's why I'm a Calvinist, by the way. That's why I preach from a Reformed perspective. Because I believe we were dead. And dead men don't raise themselves. It takes God reaching in and breathing life like the valley of dry bones. And we come alive. So what happened here? What I was, next point in his testimony, what God did. (laughs) What God did. You know, the the conversion of Paul is relayed three separate times in the book of Acts. And if you've been with us, um, then we've hit each one of those. Um, This event, the conversion of Paul, this is actually given more space in the New Testament than any single event save the passion of Christ. Paul's experience was significant It was dramatic. Did you notice um, what time on the Damascus road it was that Paul saw the Lord? Yeah, verse 13. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun. How bright would a light have to be to eclipse the Syrian desert sun at midday? Pretty bright. Now, we've reviewed um, this event in previous chapters. Um, Hopefully, many of us, most of us are familiar with it. For time's sake, I'm just going to go quickly here. The point of Paul's Damascus Road experience is this. He was not seeking God. Okay? Paul was on the Damascus Road with extradition papers in hand, seeking to arrest Christians who had crossed the border. He was not seeking God. God was seeking him. This is a key theological point, that we cannot make ourselves acceptable to God. We can't clean up the the, the filthy uh, months and years and decades of of words and actions and, and thoughts. Apart from our God, our condition is simple. We're hopeless, we're helpless, and we're lost. Apart from God... Our condition is simple. We're hopeless, we're helpless, and we're lost. See, here in the testimony of Paul, the spotlight is not on Paul, is it? It's quite clearly on the risen Jesus. That this Savior, who appeared to Paul on the Damascus road, was once upon a cross where he who had no sin became sin for us. That's the story that Paul's telling in court, in the witness box. He says what I was. He says what God did. And then he says what God is doing now. It's right there in the middle of verse 16. Jesus said to Paul, I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness. That's the commission that God gave to Paul. But then, it's not until near the bottom of the chapter that Paul 
finally tips his hand, right? It's in verse 28. If you've kept your Bibles open, Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. And there it is. Beginning all the way back in um, chapter 21, we had the arrest, we had the council, we had the conspiracy. Moving ahead through the chapters, we have the trial before Felix, we have the trial before Festus, we've got the trial before now Agrippa, and it's just here when Paul finally, before the ruling establishment, reveals his actual goal all along, which was never to get himself off the hook. Paul's chief aim was never freedom from sin, but rather, verse 29, redemption from sin for all who have ears to hear him. You know, since we started this series in Acts a long time ago, we've called it On Mission, right? And, and, and we've watched the, the birth and then the explosion outward of this New Testament church. We've slowly been seeing more and more in stark biblical terms what it means for God's people to be missional in an overwhelmingly non-Christian culture. That they, they, they live life not compartmentalized, but All of life, no matter where God puts us, is placed beneath the authority and the purpose of the risen Jesus. Paul is exhibit A. So we think in terms of, um, remember when we did the red dots, the graphic, a few months ago, a couple times actually, that the Christians, we we don't cluster down in the corner, right? We spread out salt and light. Um, we've talked over the, the months in terms of this time tomorrow. Um, the, the Sunday church gathered is great. In fact, I would say it's absolutely vital. The, the Bible would look at a Christian who didn't go to church and say, well, there is no such thing. It was completely foreign to the New Testament church, someone who would claim Christianity but not gather with the communion of saints. Sunday gathered is really important But then we think in terms of where will I be this time tomorrow when the church is scattered? Will I commit to live the gospel in the office, in the classroom, on the factory floor, in my own living room? This on-mission emphasis, I was thinking it kind of gets faded a little bit in these recent chapters with the arrest and then all of the trials and everything. And then it comes, here at the end of this chapter, it comes blazing back again and then right in to the end of the book. That God's people, brothers and sisters, we are saved to live on mission. What I was, what God did, what God is doing now. Of this much, I'm sure, for all of us in our own unique context, God is 
gathering us on Sunday, and then he's sending us out on Monday so that others can know of Jesus. So that's the framework for this last trial. Let me end by offering, if I can, two exhortations. And that was really the first one. That for those in this room um, who would claim the title that Agrippa uses there in verse 28, which I think is only the second time in the entire book of Acts that this title is used, Christian, means little Christs, probably began as a pejorative term. For those of us in this room who would claim that title, well, let's live like Christians. Resolve to not equivocate in moments of evangelistic opportunity, which may just be set before you, right? Instead, resolve to humbly, gently, but clearly lay the gospel before those who have no gospel. If you're not doing that, what are we doing here anyway? Verse 29, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. <laughs> I don't know how Paul said that. I, kinda, I wish we had a tape recorder. You know, was there a little lightness in his voice there? Just, just reminding you, Agrippa, you still have me in these. I don't know. I, I, I will say this. Um, historically, the church has often prospered the most when it comes manacled before the state. That's a data point. And in this case, certainly you would agree with me, would you not, that it was those chains that gave Paul this platform to begin with. Well, in a similar way, Christian, some of us sit around and we gripe and we moan about I lost this job or I lost this house or failed this test or I've got this pain in this spot of my body. And instead of offering those as honest, sincere prayer requests, God be at work here, they just become opportunity for griping and complaining. And it's like it never even occurs to us that our heartache, our disappointment, our difficulty, in some cases, Christian, even our tragedy becomes the very opportunity for God to give us a platform that the gospel would be made known just like he did with Paul. So that's the first exhortation. If you're a Christian this morning, see all of life as mission. And then I'll end here. Um, a second exhortation. This one is to the non-Christian who is here with us this morning. Um, I wasn't born yesterday. I'm well aware people come to church for all kinds of reasons. I suspect we're overwhelmingly Christian here, but certainly not 100%. And so I want to speak to those who, uh, you would not claim this Christ. You would not claim this faith. Um, I want you to see that this chapter is a, it's a powerful picture of a changed life. But it just kind of fizzles at the end, Right? I even tried to read it a little bit like that as we went through it. Because I get to the end of this chapter, I mean, shouldn't there be an altar call or something? 
Shouldn't like every head bow and every eye close, raise your hand if you're ready? Paul, he forgot to do that. Instead, it seems like after 29 verses or so, nothing sank in. The seed fell on hard soil. They get up at the end of the sermon and they just leave. That's it. Do you ever do that? The preacher up here, whoever it is, maybe they might be preaching their heart out. And we just, eh, wasn't his best. <laughs> eh, where do you want to go to lunch later? I suppose I'm, I'm kind of encouraged in a way that Paul had to deal with this. <laughs> it gives permission for the rest of us. But at the end of the narrative, Bernice, the king, the governor, they just leave, verse 30. And then we eavesdrop on their conversation. Are they debating the gospel? <laughs> Are they talking about the merits of this faith that this Jew was telling them about? Are they considering the message of salvation? Are they, are they processing the, the spiritual truths that were just presented to them? No, just legal technicalities. This man is doing nothing. This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. For crying out loud, did they hear what the guy just told them? Were they so completely unaffected by it all that they just move on? Well, forget Festus and Agrippa. What about those of us sitting in the juror's box today who just listened, maybe took down some notes, processed what the witness was saying. The question goes before you. Is this this man's testimony credible? Does it ring true? And if so, does that not imply that today, on Palm Sunday, we've got some business to do with God before Easter? next Sunday. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.